We're continuing in our series on the book of Galatians today. We'll be looking at a message I call, Until Christ Be Formed in You. Verse 19, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. For I stand in doubt of you, until Christ be formed in you. Our objective as a New Testament church is to make disciples. That has been clearly defined for us by our Lord Jesus Christ in the Great Commission. When he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciples. This simply means Christ followers. And the first way that we become a follower of Jesus Christ is to experience a new birth. I hope that every single person in this building today has been born again. That you know what it's like to uh, experience that, uh, that new birth through Jesus Christ by believing on him and receiving him as your personal savior. If you don't, there'll never be a better moment for you to do that than right now. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. And he gives out that simple uh, message. Whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can find that true in your own life today if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus. If you have been saved, then you need to follow him in baptism. That's right there in the text. The old timers used to call that deep water baptism because uh, in order to stay true to the teachings of the Bible, we put people completely under the water. I've had to baptize a couple of them twice because uh, they grabbed up or didn't get all under the water. It doesn't happen a lot, but occasionally it does. Uh, You see, we're serious about it. Uh, Why? Because it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you become a follower of Jesus, and you do, when you receive him as your Savior, your next step of being a disciple is to identify yourself with him through baptism. If you haven't done that, you need to. And then we become a part of a New Testament church where the uh, Bible is taught and where we can learn about the teachings of Scripture. Churches are uniquely qualified and empowered to do this. In fact, we are promised the very presence of Christ. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or unto the end of the age. Like every generation before us, we must be transformed to follow his teaching both uh, in word and in example. That is to say, we learn from the words of Jesus Christ. No one ever taught like he taught. And his truth, uh, we are promised, is going to endure unto the end of the age. Jesus said that the words that he speaks are spirit and are life. He also told us, if you know these things, happier ye if you do them. So there is a great blessedness that is available to us as we learn the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's our task. But in the learning of his truth, Jesus also set us an example. So he told us to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And he pictures animals that are yoked together or harnessed together so that one then is is forced to walk in step with the other. And we uh, team up with the Lord Jesus Christ and we learn how to walk as he walked. And as we do this, then we follow in his steps. Jesus lived in an ancient world far, far removed from modern life. 
And from time to time, we need to remind ourselves that most of the changes that this world has experienced from that way that Jesus lived so long ago have occurred just in the last uh, few centuries. That for generations, God's people lived a very simple life. People everywhere lived a very simple life. Think about it. Uh, Jesus walked everywhere he ever went. Uh, Jesus never talked on a phone, not even a rotary dial one. Never had a cell phone. uh, Never got on a computer. Nothing like that. We remember that electricity and and mechanization, the internal combustion engine, the steam engine before it, mass communication by first radio, television, and the internet have profoundly changed our world and changed the way that we live. And that presents a challenge for us to live the way Jesus lived, to apply the teachings of Jesus Christ, to follow his example in our world is a challenge. Uh, but it was a challenge two or three hundred years ago as well. It's always been a challenge. But from generation to generation, we've been led by the Spirit of God, taught by the Word of God, placed in churches where we grow and serve in this task then of discipleship, of becoming real-time, real-life followers of Jesus Christ in our world today. Because the principles that Jesus taught and the life that he lived are just as important to be learned and lived out in Cabot, America as it was for the people of the first century. This is a lifetime of work. When someone is saved and baptized and joined the church, our task is not finished. In many ways, it's just begun. Although I'll admit it's a lot easier to count baptisms than it is to measure spiritual growth in people. But both of those things are important and both of them are vital. This is what we've been called to do. To reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Encourage them then to follow the Lord in baptism. And then teach them how to be real life, real time followers of Jesus Christ in today's world. That's what we're here for. Pastoral leadership is certainly included in this text and it is going to be highlighted in our message today as Paul describes his work with the churches of Galatia. But it wasn't unique just to them. He also brought it up to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. He himself, that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. You see in Ephesians chapter 4, we're encouraged to grow up into all things until we meet the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, when I was growing up, uh, buying school clothes was a once a year kind of event. My uncle worked for West Department stores and wherever he was working at is where we would travel to in order to buy our school clothes. It probably had something to do with an employee discount, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, that was uh, long before I was aware of such things, but I just knew uh, every year we'd make a pilgrimage to somewhere in Texas, wherever Uncle Pete was, and I'd get all new school clothes. You know, it's a funny thing back then. Some of you young people, this is amazing. You know, back then when you bought a new pair of jeans, they were actually new. 
It was amazing. They, they weren't faded. They didn't have no holes in it or nothing like that. I mean, they were just new, new blue jeans. Just so proud of them. The only thing that was a little different back then is, is of course, when you bought them to start the school year, you rolled them up. Now, part of that was just fashion. Uh, but part of that was, of course, you were growing so fast. So you'd buy your jeans a little bit longer than they needed to be because by the end of the year, you'd probably be cutting them off for short britches. That's just the way the world went in those days. When you bought shoes, mom would always put her thumb down on the end of my shoes and press down because you needed a little room. Chances were you were going to outgrow those shoes before you wore them out. You bought things too large so you could grow into them. So when we think about Jesus Christ, listen, we've got a lot of growing to do before we ever grow into him. Isn't that a great concept? How we grow up into him. Into all things we grow up into Christ. And that was, that was true in, in Ephesians chapter 4. That's the concept that Paul presented to the work that he was doing. I want Christ, he said, I want you to grow up into Christ. But here in Galatians chapter 4, he says we are laboring until Christ is formed in you. That's an interesting word. It was used of a baby uh, growing inside of its mother until it has filled her and the baby is fully formed. Now, this is a mental picture, a metaphor, if you will, and we don't take it too far. We don't receive just a cell of Christ that has to grow. Listen, when you are saved, you receive Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you and you are placed in him. I know we've talked about that a lot in Galatians because it is such an important part of this great book. So, certainly we receive all of Jesus Christ when we are saved. But we can certainly conceive, if we can think of it as ourselves growing up into Christ, then we can also think of Christ growing in us. It was a kinder and gentler day when they used to talk about a lady and say she was expecting and those of you who grew up in that kinder, gentler day knows that that means she was going to have a baby. Back then they would say, she's starting to show. It was a different world. I mean, we got baby bumps sticking out everywhere these days. And, you know, nobody seems to worry about it anymore. Uh, but for some strange reason, the idea of wearing baggy clothes and trying to keep everybody, I don't, know what, I don't know what was all going on. I'm just telling you, that's what they used to say. And it fits very well with this passage. Because wouldn't it be great if we were all showing Jesus Christ in our life, that Christ was growing in us to the point that others could see Christ in us. Young people, uh, you go to school every day. Do you ever think ever, uh, on a day about whether people will see Jesus in you today? You, you guys going to work, ladies going to work every day, do you ever think about it? Is, is Christ going to be obvious in me today? Are people going to see Jesus Christ in me? Are we just worried about being popular? Are we worried about being liked? Or do we ever have any concern at all about Christ growing in us and becoming obvious in us? You see, that's what it means to be a real life, real time follower of Jesus Christ. We are growing in Christ. But Christ is growing in us too. 
This is what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is not like a portrait that has an image only on one side. It's like a coin with an image on both sides. And in this case, it has to do uh, with the giving and the receiving in it. There must be somebody who is making disciples and then someone who is being discipled. And willingness is required on both sides of that. I like the way one preacher put it. He said, a church needs people who in listening to their pastor, listen for the message of Christ. And pastors who in laboring among the people, look for the image of Christ in them. Only when pastor and people thus keep their eyes on Christ, will their mutual relations be healthy, profitable, and pleasing to Almighty God. As we look in this passage then this morning, we're going to see the Apostle Paul talking about that time when he was speaking to the churches at Galatia and they were listening. And then the time that they were now experiencing. So we begin with that, the people listening. He says in verse 13, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. Uh, the NIV has this, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Some kind of illness brought Paul to the churches at Galatia. Galatia. We don't know what that was. Uh, the most commonly held theory about it is that Paul may very well have caught smallpox. Uh, and that would account for the inflammation in his eyes and the way that he looked and the concern that he had and what a burden it was to them. It's very possible, but I, I, I can't tell you that. That's pure speculation. Uh, whatever was wrong with him had affected his eyes because he talked about the, his people. And he said, if it were possible, you would have pulled out your eyes and given them to me. So it, it has affected his eyesight. And it was something that made him feel very repulsive. And you wouldn't know what it's like. I mean, there's only so big of a band-aid you can put on your face. You know what I'm saying? When you've got a big problem there, you can't just cover it up. And so he felt repulsive, but he said, you know, y'all didn't treat me that way. You received me as a messenger of God that is an angel of God, even like Jesus Christ himself, living out what he said in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40, when he said, insomuch as you've done this unto one of the least of my disciples, you have done it unto me. Uh, they ministered to Paul because they were ministering to Jesus Christ. They were very grateful grateful to have him there to preach to them the gospel and teach them the life-changing message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Even if he was sick, even if he was suffering, even if he was a burden, they were very thankful to have him. That's how it was when he came. But now we have this question in verse 16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It happens. It happens. When it comes to the ministry of the Word of God, people can love you to death one month and be trying to put you to death the next. It happens. And the only thing a lot of times that changes to bring about such a profound reaction is just that people don't like what you tell them. 
We boast of our love for truth and our love for the pastor who preaches the truth, and rightly so. But I can't begin to tell you over 40 years of ministry how many times I've seen people come to a church say, well, we like this church because you guys preach the Bible. But then those very same people would leave it. And why would they leave it? Because we preach the Bible. Only now it's got up in their wheelhouse and they didn't like it. The very thing that brings us in sometimes is the very thing that, that runs us off. That's the way it is. It's, it's part of it. Listen, I don't try to be offensive with the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, but I recognize that there is an offensiveness to it. And it's not unique just to pastors. You've had the same experience in your own life. You've lost friends because you told them the truth. You've had family members that you loved and they loved you back. But you had to tell them the truth at some time and now they treat you like an enemy. They have nothing to do with you. The old, uh, one of my old seminary teachers many years ago used to say, Be careful, boys. When you go to a new church, the first ones to eat you up will be the first ones to spit you out. <laughs> I've learned a little bit about that. Those guys that never had anything good to say about their former pastor, you know what? They'll be talking bad about me someday too. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Paul asked though, a very, very powerful question. Just because it is that way. And remember, Jesus said, Be thou aware when all men speak well of you. So we understand, but that doesn't make it okay. To treat somebody like an angel when you like what he says, but then make him your enemy if you don't. This is why that, and I talked about this some last week, uh, but it's why that I've made a commitment over the course of my ministry to preach to people the Word of God. Because if I say it and it's right there in the Word of God, then like it or not like it, uh, sad, glad, or mad, it doesn't change what the Word of God says. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Part of what was happening in Galatia and part of what often happens in our world is that personalities get involved. Uh, it'd be nice if we could stand against what somebody believes or says without it being perceived as a stand against them, but that seldom happens in the 2021 world. It'd be great if we could just look at what some other teacher or preacher says or does and say, that's wrong, it's not scriptural. But you know, when that preacher is somebody that you love, somebody that you respected, or when it's a trusted friend or a co-worker, or most often when it's grandma and grandpa, uh, you know, and, and a lot of times we're completely innocent about that. We don't know what some pastor taught you down the line somewhere. We don't know what your grandma said or your grandpa said. I'm not just that, uh, just uh, starting out to trample all over uh, what they might have said or taught to you. Don't do it. Again, our goal is just to preach the Word of God. But a part of that comes the responsibility of warning against error. And that's exactly what was happening in the church at Galatia. They were being threatened by false teachers. And though obviously they were people of influence, they would not have been such a threat to the church had it not been so. Even though they were people of influence, and even though they were popular, and even though they were loved, what they were teaching was wrong and had to be stood against. Error is error no matter who it comes from. And while those things are true, it is also true there's a great blessedness that is enjoyed when God's Word is faithfully proclaimed and people receive it. Where there's one that's involved in and growing and maturing others in their faith and others in who are the ones who are being grown and taught and, and are learning. 
It's a sweet fellowship. And the false teachers in this day were working hard to exclude those people from that sweet fellowship and the truth of the gospel in order to create a zeal for themselves and the error they were teaching. Galatians 4.17 says, They zealously court you, but for no good. You say, oh, they mean well. No, they didn't. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you. That is, they want to pull you away from that place where the gospel is taught, where the preaching of the word is going on. They want to pull you away from that so that you may be zealous for them. It's an interesting word. They zealously court you. Now, we're all familiar with the courtship ritual, although for some of our cases, it's a very, very distant memory. But we remember what it's like uh, in those courting days. This is when the guy gets all gussied up and dressed up and, and uh, it, it kind of smells like he's taking a bath in his brood or his old spice. You know what I mean? I mean, you can smell him coming a long time before you see him. He, he is all dressed up. His hair's just right. He's cleaned up. His, he's cleaned his car up. Man, everything's right. The girl comes down to meet him and all. She's got her hair just right and her makeup's just right. She's changed clothes 27 times before he got there. I mean, she wants everything to be just right. What's going on here? They're courting. They're all sugar and sweet and nice and all, honey. No, I'm telling you, it's the courting days. Y'all remember that old story about uh, uh, the daughter that was asking her mom, Mom, I'm concerned about my boyfriend. He works so hard and he's spending all his money on me. He just buys me stuff and what, what can I do to stop it? She said, don't worry about it. If y'all get married, it'll all stop. <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> uh, a lot of the courtship is fun, but courtship stops when you get married. And maybe it shouldn't. I've heard all those stories. Yeah, I've been to the classes too. I know. Courtship. Courtship. Courtship ritual. They zealously court you, but their intentions are not good. There's no easy way to say it, so I'll just say it plain. Uh, anybody who is pulling anyone away from the truth of the gospel does not have good intentions. They don't. So if their ministry is not grounded on the truth of the gospel, it's not good. And it's our responsibility then as a faithful pastor to call that out, make sure that that is easily seen. Before I go on, there's a couple of things that I want to say. Uh, first of all, I want to say I'm very thankful for Faith Baptist Church and for the way you listen to the Word of God and for the value that you place on it. Believe you me, there are multitudes of churches around in the world that do not value the teaching and preaching of God's Word the way you do. And I'm so very thankful for it. Secondly, I want to say, as far as I know, you know, we're not having any untoward uh, kind of activity going on. You have welcomed me and been very good to me and my family. And I'm very, very thankful for that. So I'm not, I don't have an axe to grind. I'm not a, up here talking about this because I'm aggravated at somebody. I'm not, not a bit. Why am I talking about this? Because I'm preaching through the book of Galatians. And here we are in Galatians chapter 4. It's not easy to preach about uh, passages that talk about preaching. And if I wasn't preaching through the book in the Bible, I might not do it. I'd just skip it and move on. But when you make that commitment to preach through the books of the Bible, then you cover it. And, and that's one of the things I like about it. Because I, I have to talk about it as this aspect of the ministry. The people then were receiving it. 
people were listening. And the pastor then was working, laboring. Verse 18. It is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. There's probably 10,000 jokes about the preacher's work, and I've heard them all. That doesn't mean that if you hear one and you like it, you can't tell me again, hey, you might get lucky and you might actually have heard one that I hadn't heard. 10,000 jokes about the preacher's work. But Paul describes it as being like a woman in labor. Have you ever been in labor or watched a woman in labor? That's a, a whole lot about what the pastor's work is. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and the doctrine. Use the same word in First Timothy chapter 5. The laboring in the word and the doctrine. It's such a powerful metaphor that Paul uses in this passage. I labor in birth again. Until Christ be formed in you. You see Paul was the one who preached the gospel to them. Paul was the one who pointed them to Jesus Christ and led them to the Lord. But now he said I'm laboring again. Until Christ be formed in you. I admit to being somewhat old school. I remember starting out in seminary back in the 70s and looking at all those old guys and how, how just a bunch of old stuck-in-the-mud guys they were and a bunch of old mossbacks, we called them, you know, just... And, and now I find myself admitting to being somewhat old school. I, I know that. That's just life. It just happens to us all, I guess. Uh, I don't tweet, tweet I can't even say it. I don't tweet about every book I read. I don't tweet about anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't talk about every prayer I pray or every phone call I make or is made to me, although that's somewhat stylish in ministry circles today. I don't put every conversation I have on Facebook. They're not always all going to end up in a sermon on Sunday. I don't ask our staff to toot my horn, and I don't ask my wife to lead my fan club. And you know why? Because I don't want a fan club. One preacher famously said, If ministers wish to do any good, let them labor to form Christ, not form themselves in their hearers. Our labor is to form Christ until Christ be formed in you. And so Paul makes several statements in this passage that describes then this ministry and how the pastor labors to make disciples. He talks about how that uh, it's good to be zealous in a good thing always. And so the pastor is laboring then so that people would maintain their zeal for God and their zeal for the truth of God. And he watches constantly over them so that their zeal would not be misdirected toward unscriptural beliefs and practices Pastor then works to see that your zeal for God passes beyond our times of public worship. He said, not just when I'm present with you. Now, I don't mind telling you, folk, I want you to have some zeal for God and for the Word of God while I'm here with you. Amen? Amen? 
<laughs> Amen. I mean, it's a good thing. I like to see a little, a little zeal, a little enthusiasm for the Word of God while we're here together. Nothing wrong with that. I want us to sing zealously, passionately, because our God is worthy of our zeal. I want us to pray with zeal. I, I want us, I'm going to preach with it. I want you to listen with it. Uh, Ron Dunn said it takes good listening to make good preaching. And I've had, a, I've had a lot of messages ruined from lousy listening. So, you know, listen well. Listen with zeal. Uh, be, be thrilled about it. We've got something to be thrilled about. This is God we're talking about. The gospel of Jesus Christ. My Savior. We've got... Yeah, but we just don't need to be zealous about this. It, we do need to be zealous when we're here, Yes. Paul said, but not just when I'm present with you. You need the zeal for God every day. The zeal for God's word every day. Being this real time, real life follower of Jesus Christ gets it out of these four walls or, and out into the real world every day. pastor works in to see that your zeal for God is not taken advantage of. The pastor works to see that your zeal for God passes beyond their time of public worship. The pastor labors to see Christ growing in your life. A labor that gets harder as time passes. You remember Abraham was well over a hundred years old when God told him to offer Isaac his greatest test. It's the way life is, folk. The tests don't get easier as you go along in the Christian life. They get harder. You teenagers here today, y'all think you've got it tough now. Uh, but listen, as you get older, it gets, it gets tougher. The biggest battles come at the end. When you're a teenager, your biggest struggle might be pimples on your nose. But when you get older, it's, it's tumors and heart attacks and cancer. It's the death of loved ones, death of your spouse, and your own. Biggest test come at the end. So the pastor labors in to see Christ growing in your life. And that's a labor that grows more difficult and painful as time passes. Pastor must at times assume a firm role when doubts grow. Paul said, I wish I was with you. I could change my tone. <laughs> He's been pretty strong with them, and he would like to have a, a much nicer tone with them. But the fact is, he was having to be firm, and sometimes you have to do that. There are times, you see, when doubts come, when the people doubt the pastor, and the pastor doubts the people, and you have to take a firm stand. And you better be standing on the Word of God in those times because it's the only thing that's going to get you through. Pastor must seek out and teach other faithful men what I call the 222 principle, the 2 Timothy 2.2 principle, where Paul told Timothy that the things you've heard from me among many witnesses commit to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. Because you see, this work is, is much bigger than any one. If you're going to have a church much larger than about 30 people, you're going to have to have more people out there doing this work than one pastor can do. And so you have to teach, uh, seek out faithful men and women and, and teach them so that they in turn can teach others also. Because it takes a lot of work to get this discipleship task done. 
want to wrap up with a few things for you this morning. First of all, the truth of Jesus Christ is both promised perpetuity. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Aren't you glad this morning that the word of God is still being preached today and it's going to be preached until Jesus comes? While it is promised perpetuity, it also exists under constant threat. You see, one generation is passing the truth off to another generation constantly. You families raising children right now, you are raising tomorrow's spiritual leaders, tomorrow's pastors, tomorrow's Sunday school teachers and deacons, tomorrow's leaders. You're raising them right now. You want to say, well, they're today's leader. That is also true because they have peers and they can influence. You have to wonder because they are facing incredible hostility today. The false teachers are everywhere. And very few of them, the ones that are most dangerous to your kids and and to my kids and grandkids, the ones most dangerous are not the ones that stand behind pulpits, although they have their place. False teachers that are most influential in your young person's life are, are just this far away from them. And they're in constant connection with them. They're everywhere. There's no place to hide from them. You can be minding your own business and they'll show up in your newsfeed or your inbox. And they're doing everything they can to pull you away from the truth of the gospel. They're teaching you things that are totally contradictory to the truth of God's word. And the question is, young people, are you going to stand with the Bible? Are you going to stand with what you know is true about Jesus Christ? Will you stand for it? Will you then be the one who teaches it? Because you're going to have kids and grandkids and we're not going to be around to teach them. That torch has got to be passed. It's going to be your task 10 years, 20 years from now. And though we're all hoping for the shout and and looking to the east for Jesus Christ to come, we also know that we may have a long time yet. It's your task. This role, goal then of discipleship is, is constantly ongoing. We never outgrow. We never finish our task. We can never close the book on it and say, I'm done. Labor, and we keep laboring until Christ is formed in you. And then you can pass that along to others. I also want to say in in the time in which we live, that Paul says, I would like to be present with you now. I'd love to be with you. This has a whole new meaning for us today I just wish I could see you wish I could be with you church attendance these days is under unprecedented unprecedented pressure and I'm not going to try to lay a guilt trip on you folks at home it's not going to do any good if, if, if guilt in you would work you'd already be here Many of you are out because you have a a serious health concern. 
in the current pandemic, I understand. I do. I'm not trying to shame you here today. I'm just telling you the truth. It's hard on me when I've spent 40 years of ministry trying to get people in church. It's hard to say you're staying at home and I'm okay. It's, it's hard. It's hard to pastor people when you can't see them. And it's hard from your side to be where you are when you can't be here. There's so much you can get at home from watching the Word of God preached. And thank God we can do it. But there's so much that you can't do. So much that is lost to you in isolation. I just want you to know today I'm praying for you. Those of you who are at home, I do. I do every single day of every week I pray for you. And I pray that this thing would get past us and we'd be able to get back. But I pray for you who struggle because of your health concerns, just as I, I pray for those that I'm afraid have just gotten used to staying at home because it's easy. Don't have to get dressed. Eat your breakfast. Watch a little preaching. It can be way too easy for us, folks. And so it gives a whole different meaning to me and our context today when I see Paul saying I I just wish I could be there with you I wish we could be together I long for us to be together because I'm worried about you all we can do at this point in time is pray for one another and pray for this thing to get past us but our goal and our objective no matter what happens no matter what comes in down the line no matter what our goal and objective doesn't change. We labor until Christ be formed in you. Until Christ be formed in you.